Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to year two of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Matty Olchek to Bob Costas, Mike North to Pat Foley, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs since 1893. Find them on the web at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. Honor the legacy, pioneer the future. Visit them at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by Serenow Law Group, top-notch pros in reducing your rising real estate taxes. They're on the web at Serenow.com by BetUS, America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. Check them out at BetUS.com. And by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats in the Chicagoland area since 1949. Visit them at PolinaMarket.com. This week we feature the longtime NFL football writer, publisher, and broadcaster, Hub Arkish. You know, George, my, my impressions are that he has franchise quarterback type tools. That's what I believed when he was drafted. Uh, saw nothing to dispute that. He has excellent arm strength. Um, the accuracy was not as advertised in his first season. It was a little inconsistent, uh, but a lot of that is just the development of a young quarterback. And there were times when he made some absolutely perfect throws. Hob Arkish has football in his blood. His father founded Pro Football Weekly, which Hub eventually took over as publisher. Through numerous iterations, the publication remains viable, albeit online, now through Shaw Media. But there was the TV version and his regular appearances on sports radio. Forty-plus years in the industry, Hub has endured plenty of underwhelming Bears football and some controversy as well. But did you know there was another business Hub was trained for? So, Hub Arkish. Tell me a story I don't know. Oh boy, George, I, you know, that's a long list, but <laughs> I, I, I guess the place to start is that um, I had no intentions of being in any of these businesses. This was not the plan. Uh, was uh, a bit of an athlete growing up, played football, basketball, baseball in high school, tried to play a little college football, wasn't good enough and hung those up. So uh, I was at the University of Michigan uh, with a double major in English and phys ed and working my way through school, which was the only way it was going to happen, I became a certified lab tech one at the University Laboratory of Animal Medicine at University of Michigan. And what that means is I was an animal handler. And, and uh, obviously the Michigan Medical School is somewhat renowned. So the Laboratory for Animal Medicine had a lot of different species. We had farm animals. We had dogs and cats and rodents and mice and rabbits. We also had uh, some gorillas and some apes, and we even had an occasional big cat come through. And uh, over the years, three years of working there to get through school, uh, became certified to handle them all, actually assisted in some surgeries. It's always been 
one of my first loves and, and my goal was to actually, or dream was to work at the San Diego zoo. And, uh, uh, it was the seventies just out of the sixties. And, um, a lot of things were appealing about California and San Diego, and I applied and actually was offered a job. We we kind of kiddingly talk about in in the cat house working with the big cats, uh, which uh, was really exciting to me. And it was just about that time that my dad, who had started Pro Football Weekly, it was uh, the business was on death's door. We were struggling to even be able to employ people. His circulation manager left unexpectedly. Um, and, uh, he said, you know, I know this is not what you're planning on doing, but if you ever thought about it, now would be a good time to give me a hand. So I turned down the job at San Diego, uh, went to work with my dad. And, uh, it was just a couple of years later that he passed away very unexpectedly. And so I ended up a journalist and a broadcaster instead of an animal handler. As we complete this interview in early February to air on the 22nd, the bears have made myriad changes to their management structure hub and to their coaching staff as well. Gone are Ryan and Matt replaced by coincidentally Ryan and Matt. That would be the new GM Ryan Poles and the new coach Matt Eberflus. What are your thoughts on these hires and the addition to the coaching staff? Well, you know, I, I think that the process was improved over what they've done in the past. Uh, according to a number of sources, it may not have been that radically different. Um, uh, I think that they got two of the top candidates out there uh, in, in their respective positions. I mean, Ryan Poles, uh, this is the fourth GM job that he interviewed for in just the last two seasons, uh, was a finalist on at least two others that we know of and, and was sought after by the Vikings, another team in the division. And so, um, you know, that appears to be a win for the Bears. Matt Eberflus is um, more of a traditional head coaching hire for a first-time head coach, kind of a lifer who worked his way up through position coaches and had real success as a coordinator ready for his first head coaching job. He was always on my list of the top three or four candidates out of the, the 10, I believe they interviewed. Uh, honestly, George, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because Todd Bowles was my first choice going back to little past mid-season when it became obvious that, that Matt Nagy wasn't going to survive. And the fact that as we speak, that he still doesn't have a head coaching job makes no sense to me. And, uh, you know, that, that's a different subject in some respects. But as far as what the Bears have done, I think they got two quality candidates that nobody had been retained from the prior staff. Um, in this case, uh, you know, I, I think Bears Nation should be more positive than negative about what they've done so far. Well, with all these moves, clearly there is now moves to be made on the field, but pretty obviously the the number one priority remains transforming Justin Fields into a franchise quarterback. What are your impressions of him after one year, and what is it going to take for this new regime to get him to the next level? You know, George, my, my impressions are that he has franchise quarterback-type tools. That's what I believed when he was drafted. Uh, saw nothing to dispute that. He has excellent arm strength. Um, the accuracy was not as advertised in his first season. It was a little inconsistent, uh, but a lot of that is just the development of a young quarterback. And there were times when he made some absolutely perfect throws. Uh, the athletic ability, the running ability, uh, it's special if, if used properly. He needed to learn to adjust to how to use it in the NFL as opposed to the way he might have used or not used it at Ohio State. 
Um, the concern is that for the scouts who were not as high on him as I was coming out of Ohio State, it was whether he was going to read coverages well enough, read defenses, react quickly enough. Um, that didn't develop at the pace I would have hoped his rookie year. And, and so now you start over with new tutors, with a new coaching staff, with a new offensive scheme. Um, and you hope that his new quarterback coach, Andrew Ginoco and, and Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, are able to get him to that next level where he is seeing uh, or, or understanding what he's seeing more quickly, processing it and reacting quickly enough, because that's what always separates the great ones from everybody else. And that's where he still has the most work to do. You had a rather celebrated and difficult moment in your professional life. It's an incident that gained you notoriety you weren't exactly seeking. And that was your comments on Aaron Rodgers and the MVP voting. Tell me a story I don't know, Hub, whether you were surprised by the intense reaction it got, particularly from the national perspective. And when you thought to yourself, maybe I made a mistake here, and what do I do next? Yeah, George, I was surprised. I was shocked that anybody cared, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've been voting for these awards forever, and nobody's really ever asked me before. Um, uh, and, uh, I was surprised by how inaccurately and poorly the whole thing was reported, but then I just looked at social media. And so that, you know, surprise went away rather quickly. Um, uh, and as far as, you know, my reaction and what I do next, I had to stop and evaluate what happened. And, and, and what happened was, uh, I was on a, uh, uh, an all sports talk radio station that I appear on regularly. Um, uh, it was a, a show that um, has been a lot of fun to do, and I enjoy working with the guys who are on it, but they do tend to uh, try and, and create debate where they can. Um, uh, and in this particular topic, um, uh, it was a little premeditated because the host who asked me had heard me say this elsewhere and obviously had prepared a debate. Did you reveal that you're not voting for Aaron Rodgers? Is that correct? I did. Yeah. I mean, I've been pretty consistent about that all year. Um, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your, your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. You know, the, the, a lot of the voters don't don't approach it the same way that I do. Others do who I've spoken to. Um, but one of the, the, the ways we get to keep being voters is we're not allowed to say who we are voting for until after the award has been announced. I'm probably pushing the envelope by saying who I'm not voting for. Um, but we're, we're not really supposed to reveal our votes. And there I made a horrible mistake because I allowed myself, uh, as it went on, to get a little bit annoyed um, and presented some things in a way that I should not have. It. And that's totally my fault and nobody else's. And so um, the reaction was to, within 24 hours, to um, uh, offer uh, publicly the strongest apology and statement I could for what went wrong, which was A, I was not supposed to be discussing my vote until after the awards had been announced. And B, because I got annoyed, I, I called Aaron Rodgers some names that just were inappropriate. It was sophomoric, it was stupid. And I've never really had that happen in, in over 40 years of doing this. And uh, that was the moment. So issued the apology. The thing that was very disappointing and frustrating about it was like so many things in our society, people tried to make it personal and a couple loudmouths said, you know, voter deciding on personal bias when in fact personal bias had absolutely nothing to do with it. 
Um, and Rogers himself decided to try and pretend that the problem was that I said I wouldn't vote for him because he wasn't vaccinated, which couldn't have been further from the truth and had nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, there were other things that he did that caused me to question his value um, and specifically lying about it when asked if he was vaccinated and then refusing to follow the protocols and the rules that were negotiated by his players association who had been more concerned about the mitigation and protocols really it seemed than even the league and the risk that he put his teammates at and none of that ever got discussed because uh, um, you know social media took off and, and then the argument about whether the award was strictly about performance on the field or off the field so um, it was a very, you know, kind of nuanced topic, and um, uh, I think a, a great example of the uh, the damage that that social media can do, you know, in, in today's environment. You know, George, Twitter is a funny place, and and um, uh, not very humorous at times, unfortunately. But um, uh, it's it's a necessary evil of the business that we're in. If you're not promoting your work, you're not able to get the audience you seek to read it. And yet, unfortunately, there is so much on there that is just, you know, unnecessary and, and, and repulsive and people who go there for the wrong reasons. And so um, uh, I don't spend much time there, you know, and, 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 and didn't prior to this. And so that's what made it easier for me to get through. The thing that I will never forgive some people for is you'd be amazed at the number who went out of their way um, to go after my family, you know, my, my, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, uh, even seek out some of their personal social media accounts to attack them directly. And I, I just, I don't know what goes through people's minds when they do things like that, you know? Um, uh, but it, it was a, it was a lesson in life, George. And, uh, um, again, uh, to be as clear as I can, I created the problem for myself by, by, you know, after five decades of doing, uh, you know, sports talk uh, uh, on the radio, uh, forgetting, you know, forgetting for a moment where I was and saying some things I shouldn't have. And, and so I have nobody to blame for it but myself. And uh, um, yeah, not only this too shall pass, but it is a lesson learned. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. The Super Bowl has come and gone, but March Madness will be here soon, and BetUS Sportsbook is your home for all of it, plus the NBA, NHL, UFC, and the PGA Tour. Sign up now, and first-time bettors will get a 125% bonus with our promo code STORY22. That's STORY22. Future odds, live betting, and great parlay plays also await you at BetUS. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Go to BetUS.com and remember our code, STORY22. 
the easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Hub Arkish on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I want to get back to the quarterback, and not specifically Fields, but the Bears' miserable history of not having what you would call a legitimate franchise quarterback. It's almost impossible to believe how the last one they had who performed with sustainable success was some 70 years ago. Well, you know, I think some of it is, is fluke and circumstance. And, 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 you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, I said 70 years. So you're talking about basically six different front office regimes and, uh, you know, I don't have time to, to count the coaches right now, but it's got to be close to a dozen. Um, it, it's not unique to the Bears, but it is unusual. It is fluky. And, and I think some of it, too, uh, could be with, with maybe a lack of, of vision uh, in, in ownership. Uh, I am a McCaskey fan. I, I love the family. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a detractor or a hater the way that many are, but I think you have to report objectively on them. And that while they are the heritage franchise in the NFL and their legacy is impeccable, um, none of them portray themselves as football people. They're, they're fans as much as anything else. And there's been a lack of vision at the top with the with Bears ownership as to what current changes and improvements and, and differences you find in the NFL as we've gone from cycle to cycle, from run base to passing base to, to different passing games, to the West Coast offense, to the air raid offense, to the, uh, you know, the RPO offense, whatever you want to call it. It feels like because of a little bit of a lack of vision with ownership, they've always been behind the curve just a bit and struggling to catch up. And that's usually not the best way to get exactly what you want or need. Yeah, I want to go back to the unexpected passing of your father, who founded Pro Football Weekly. So you were 26, and suddenly you are thrust into this role, yet you had some help in the form of two very important people in the NFL. Tell me a story I don't know. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, my dad launched the, the, the business in 1967. He had been successful in, in private publishing, and yet really, even in 1967, you didn't launch a publishing company with $30,000 of your life savings. And so early on, uh, the business struggled and, and through, unfortunately, the entire 12 years that he oversaw it, uh, never made money. And it was a constant battle to keep the doors open. And uh, just at, at the time that he passed, about a year earlier, um, he had brought in some investment capital. Uh, uh, enough to pay down all of our debt at 17 cents on the dollar and, and leave a few thousand dollars to invest in some promotion. And, and fortunately, we had written a business plan because he was thinking that he wanted to possibly slow down and, and do some other things, maybe work on some books and uh, had just begun to talk about training me to take it over. And I was arguing with him that I didn't know if I was staying because I still wasn't sure. Um, and then he passed away. And uh, his two closest confidants slash friends in the NFL at the time, because, you know, back in the, in the sixties and seventies, there were no NFL insiders. You, you know, there, there were a few people uh, in the media who got close to ownership or management. And my dad had gotten very close with Al Davis and Jim Finks, uh, you know, unrelated to each other, but 
Jim because he was here in Chicago. And we I've lived in Chicago all my life, except for my years in Ann Arbor. Um, and we've always been based here. And then Al Davis, because, uh, you know, we can talk a lot about Al, uh, but he truly was visionary in a lot of regards. And he understood the importance uh, of, of a free and thriving media in terms of promoting the game. Remember, this is the 1960s and 70s NFL, not, not today's, uh, where the media has kind of almost become the enemy of sorts. But, but Al and, and Jim and my dad were all very close. And uh, they were, you know, really not obviously as devastated as my brothers and I, but, but uh, terribly saddened and, 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 and somewhat devastated at his passing. And they reached out to me and basically said, whatever you need. And, and they became my counselors, uh, my guidance. They, um, they, they taught me a ton about football. You know, I thought like everybody fan that, that, that I knew everything and I knew so little. Um, and, and so I learned a lot about the game from them, but also as one of the most successful general managers and most successful owners uh, in NFL history, they taught me about running businesses and, and, and managing employees and, and keeping up with technology and um, there's no way that I would have survived in the business at all, probably not for more than a couple of years without them. And, and so I, I credit, uh, you know, whatever I've accomplished, first and foremost to my dad, um, but certainly next up would be Al Davis and Jim Finks. And, and there were some hard times. I mean, uh, we actually ended up going through a bankruptcy um, six years after my dad passed away, but that was as a result of the, of the 56 day work stoppage and the strike in 1982. And even through that, uh, Al kind of guided me through, you know, next steps. And while it did event, uh, eventually get to a chapter 11, we were able to, to come back out of that. And then finally started to have some success, um, uh, at the end of the eighties and through the nineties. Um, and you know, my career, probably would have ended before it started and pro football weekly which is somewhat regarded as the bible of professional football would have never attained that status if it was not for their contributions so you still had to take the magazine to a different level and you basically invented draft analysis on pro football weekly one could say hub you created a monster well Again, I, 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 that credit is to my dad. Um, in the late 60s, going back to 68 and 69, right after the merger, um, he anticipated that at least it was important for fans to have access to. I don't think ever thought it would become the cottage industry that it has. And he found a couple guys, the Marasco brothers. They were insurance salesmen out of Philadelphia who as a hobby, as a passion, uh, scouted college football. And so he, we became the first uh, independent vehicle to actually ever publish draft ratings available to the public. They were so good, Carl and Pete, that they both got jobs in professional football. Um, uh, Pete ended up as a personnel, uh, I think he was a pro personnel director with the Jets. Carl ended up as the personnel director for the CFL, actually did some work with the Bears, I believe, in the 80s. But when they went away, uh, we felt that we still wanted to develop that aspect of it. And it was literally a few months before my dad passed away um, that we decided to give Joel Buxbaum uh, a chance. Joel was just out of high school, basically a year in junior college out of Brooklyn. And uh, we hired him uh, a couple months after we hired him. My dad passed away and, and I knew, you know, it seemed like the right thing to do. So did at that point develop Joel. And uh, in addition to his rankings, we began publishing 
our scouts notebook. It was three or four years before Mel Kuyper was hired at ESPN and almost a decade before ESPN started televising the draft. And it was really 15, 20 years that, that ESPN and Mel and, and Joel and, and, and Pro Football Weekly, we had the marketplace to ourselves uh, with the explosion of the internet in the 90s, other draft experts, quote draft experts came along. There's never been anyone like Joel Buxbaum and I'm sure even Mel Kuyper would tell you that. Um, Joel unfortunately passed away very young at the age of 48 in 2002. Mm -hmm. And we then trained Nolan Naraki who became the next uh, leading independent draft analyst for over a decade. Um, and, and Nolan is actually now a scout with the, uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders. Would you like to save money? <laughs> Who wouldn't? How about saving money on your real estate taxes? I have and did so thanks to Serenal Law Group, accomplished professionals ready to put money back in your pocket. All Chicago properties were reassessed by the Cook County Assessor's Office, and some of you got eye-opening increases. Serenal Law Group has the ability to lower that. The deadline to file your 2021 appeal is 30 days after your township opens for appeals at the Board of Review, so don't waste a minute contacting Serenal Law Group so you can save. There are no fees, so you don't have to pay a dime unless they save you money. And take it from me, they've saved me thousands. And they do it in a professional and friendly manner that makes your life a whole lot easier. Serenal Law Group handles appeals throughout the greater Chicagoland area from residential, commercial, or industrial property. They're ready to fight on your behalf, so you don't pay more than your fair share. Visit their website, serenow.com, that's S-A-R-A-N-O-W, or call them at 312-373-0015. Mention promo code OFFMAN, that's O-F-M-A-N, to get a discounted fee on your 2021 property tax appeal. Contact Serenow Law Group, S-A-R-A-N-O-W, and start saving. So this is 2013, and suddenly Pro Football Weekly is gone or it's reinvented. Tell me a story about that and how the company is thriving today. To be honest with you, George, I don't know that I can say the company is thriving today, but the brand certainly continues to. Um, uh, we had actually gone through, I sold the business to a company called K3 in 1996. It was right at the beginning of the dot-com bubble. We had never really made anything off it. And by now it's you know 30 years later, I had been doing it already for almost 20 years. Um, but we had had a couple really good years. There was uh, all kinds of integration and takeovers and, and mergers in, in, in the media industry at the time. It was still healthy. And K3 actually became Prime Media and the largest magazine publishers in the world uh, about six months to a year after they purchased Pro Football Weekly. So um, it was operated uh, corporately from 96 through 02. The first three years were some of the best years of my life because they were paying me 10 times what I ever paid myself. We were making <laughs> money. Um, but then the rush to, to understand and leverage uh, the internet took over uh, with newspapers and magazines and, and, and prime media made some questionable decisions. I'm not gonna call them bad decisions. I guess they were bad decisions because Prime Media ended up bankrupt and out of business about mm. seven, eight years later. Um, but they started dumping a bunch of corporate overhead on Pro Football Weekly, turning our operating profits into losses. Uh, we were now unhappy with each other and agreed to disagree. And I bought the company back from them. So I owned it again beginning in 2003, uh, actually 02 and 03, along with a, a, an investment group that I put together. 
And then um, we had some, some new struggles because of at that time, what was the offshore betting industry who were, were significant advertisers of us and revenue generators. Um, and so I sold it again uh, in 2008 to Gatehouse, uh, who actually I think is the largest newspaper company in the country today. Um, and Gatehouse was great. I, I had no issues with them whatsoever. They wanted to go full throttle modernization. Uh, they believed that the future of the internet was video and streaming. And to some respect, that's proven to be true. They invested significant dollars in the company. We built out uh, video studios. Uh, we launched uh, quite a bit of our own programming. Unfortunately, it got way ahead of the revenue stream. Gatehouse then got into some issues as the magazine business was practically disappearing and the newspaper business was really beginning to struggle at the end of the aughts in the beginning 2010, 2011. And they decided to liquidate Pro Football Weekly uh, following the 2012 season, following the Super Bowl. I'm trying to remember where we were in 2013. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, but in the spring of 2013, um, they were liquidating the business. And this time, uh, I just didn't have the stomach to start again from scratch. So I purchased the trademarks and copyrights and IP, and then simply went to work uh, as an employee for Shaw Media, which is a, a very large Illinois newspaper group, uh, headquartered actually in Sterling, Illinois, but our biggest paper, the Northwest Herald in Crystal Lake. And we began producing some of the Pro Football Weekly elements uh, through Shaw Media. The Pro Football Weekly uh, TV show uh, has gone on uninterrupted. Hi, everybody. Welcome to beautiful Olivet Nazarene University here in Bourbon, Illinois. You see the college campus behind us. First day of training camp for the Chicago Bears 2019. He's Arthur Arkish. I'm Hub. And Arthur, I guess it all started with the winner of the Grand Entrance Award as Tariq Cohn slingshotted his way into town. You know, after listening to this, you should write a book. You know, my wife keeps telling me that. <laughs> There's a lot to tell here. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, maybe one of these days. The, the issue is that to keep all this going, I've always had four or five jobs at one time. Uh, you know, the, the Pro Football Weekly, I am now the, the senior columnist and analyst for uh, NFL for, for both Shaw Media and the Daily Herald and Paddock Publications. I am, as you know, because we're with the same company or, or were for some time anyway, mm -hmm. Um, uh, the senior analyst at 670 The Score. Yet another chapter in what old Lee Remmel used to call the primordial rivalry. What uh, was your primary takeaway? Well, you know, for 30 minutes, it was a lot of fun. I think a lot more fun than anybody expected. Um, and then in the second half, it was what we all expected. Um, working for Westwood One, doing games. And so in, in, in addition to all that, finding time to write a book uh, uh, has certainly been a challenge. But we'll see, you know, maybe one of these days. You mentioned how Jim Finks and Al Davis helped you at Pro Football Weekly, but a guest who's already been featured on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know also played a pivotal role in your career, and that would be the voice of the Bulls, Chuck Swirsky. With a handoff to Paul Pierce. Stop and go. Triple drive. Hits pass. Deflected. Stolen by Noah. Noah on the runway. Noah with a right hand. It's done. Counted the foul. I don't believe what I just saw. Yeah, I mean, this is a story that very few people know, but I've told it a couple times. It was literally, I think, the second or third week in April of 1979. My dad had passed away three weeks earlier, uh, March, 29, uh, March 22nd, I'm sorry, of 79. 
and um, guy calls the office. Uh, his name is Chuck Swirsky, and he has just arrived in town about four months earlier. Uh, the old, um, uh, the two rock and roll stations. WCFL? Yeah, it was the old WTFL had been bought by Christian Broadcasting four or five years earlier. They'd run their course and they had decided uh, to go back to traditional broadcasting. And they launched what really at the time was the first sports talk show in town. It was four hours of sports talk, seven to 11. Oh, uh, I remember, forgive me for interrupting, but I mentioned this to Chuck. I remember when he went on, you couldn't buy flies to listen to the show. Here's a guy who has, he's, He's come from a different market. He's not from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he's got to come up with four hours of sports talk every night. Mm-hmm. And that was tough to fill. It, it really was. And he'd only been out a few months. And, and the reason he called our office is because my dad would occasionally go on. There, there were some shorter form one-hour shows. Uh, Bill Berg had one at WIND. Pat Sheridan had one. So Chuck calls the office and he gets our reception as Kathy McAndrews um, and asks for the publisher. And everybody's kind of looking around at each other. And we suddenly figured out, well, I guess that's me. Um, and so I took Chuck's call and he says, you go on the radio, don't you? And, and I knew that my dad had strictly for the, the promotion to try and sell newspapers and magazines. So I said, oh, yeah, I do radio. I had never been in a radio studio or seen a microphone in my life. But, but um, Chuck asked me to come down we at the Twin Towers. I don't know if they're still there at Marina Towers. Um, we were going to do a half an hour. And we're on the air and about 20 minutes into the show, I see the flashing light and we have a phone call and, and Chuck Ooh. gets all excited. <laughs> and, 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 and so he says, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to go to the phones and we go to the commercial break. He goes, hub, I've been here four months. It's my first phone call. <laughs> so, um, uh, we did it. And, and, and so he said, you got to come back. And, and so we did it again, you know, uh, a few weeks later. And it became a regular thing, and, and the show kind of started to take off. And it wasn't because of me. I mean, Chuck is, is great at what he does. Um, but it, 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 be, it was the beginning of a, a, of a very important friendship with Chuck. I mean, my two best friends in the broadcast business uh, are Wayne Larrabee and, and Chuck Swirsky for fairly obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, Chuck started to get a foothold. And then that fall, uh, there was a broadcast convention in town, a a guy named uh, Mark Mason, who at the time was the program manager at WABC in New York, uh, was in for a convention, happened to turn on the show, heard us, calls me the next day and says, you know, I'd really like to have you come on my station in New York. We've got a guy named Arthur George Russ Jr. Now, Art um, was legendary in New York on the East Coast. He was doing four hours of sports talk. I think it was six nights a week on the ABC affiliate in New York but he had a big audience and a big platform. And and my attitude again was I got to sell magazines. So I started doing that and Art and I really hit it off. And and I ended up a regular every Monday night for two hours. It was their NFL show. We did that for a decade. We did it for 10 years. And the combination of of the show with Chuck here on CFL. And I I don't remember, it wasn't MVP yet. It wasn't CFL anymore, but whatever it was, the combination of those two shows um, kind of made me a broadcaster of sorts. And then as Chuck moved around, and he switches over to WGN and he says, all right, now you got to come on. Well, you know what WGN was in the early mm-hmm. 80s. And so um, that was where I first met Dan Fabian. And um, it was Dan Fabian who decided that, that I might be able to do more than, um, uh, you know, just talk shows. And actually, I suppose if you want, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I ended up in the Bears booth, too, because it's another friend of ours. Dave Ennett was responsible for that. 
Um, but that's kind yeah, of how the great, by the way, the great Dave Ennett. The great Dave Ennett. He is, if anyone who knows him personally knows, he truly is the great Dave Ennett. He is. Yeah, we all rate ourselves a little too highly as broadcasters, but as a human but, being. But, uh, but in his case, we make the exception. He is the great Dave Ennett. <laughs> he is because he's not only a great broadcaster, but he's a special human being. Yes. And so, uh, uh, but if it was not for him asking me to do him a favor, I'm pretty sure I would have never ended up in the Bears broadcast booth. And had I not ended up there, I probably would have never ended up at Westwood One. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. So here you are, it's 1985, and you are doing the pre, the post, and the halftime of this fabulous team. And I've asked several guests this question, and certainly it's right up your alley. Do you think that team was the greatest team in NFL history? Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Orleans. 46 to 10, the final. I think it was the greatest team in NFL history for a single season. It's important to make that distinction because uh, they also are one of the great failures for only winning one Super Bowl. But uh, I think the greatest team of all time was the Steelers of the 70s, which really people don't realize there was a two-year window between the first two and the next two Super Bowls. And the team that won the second two Super Bowls only had about 60, 70% of the roster of the first two. But still, to me, the Steelers of the 70s are the greatest NFL you know, dynasty or team of all time. But for a single season, I believe the most dominant team in NFL history was those Chicago Bears. You know, it's funny, George, you mentioned pre, half and post. The truth is, remember, GN had just gotten them back from WMAQ that year. I think uh, it was they, they got them from WBBM. I meant, I'm sorry, I meant WBBM. Right, WBBM with Brad Palmer and, uh, yeah. and, and Joe McConnell, who was just a great play-by-play guy. Right, I apologize. You are absolutely correct. And, and, and uh, Wayne Larravee and Dick Butkus and, and Jim Hart were the, were the rookie broadcast crew, so to speak. It was Wayne's first year in town. But what happened is because they had had that big playoff win against Washington the year before. It was the first year. They wanted to do some extra stuff. So Fabian had Chuck and I doing he had me doing a segment on chuck's post game show to start the season well you know what happened the season starts to take off so by like week five or six they say all right you got to do the whole post game by week eight or nine they say okay you got to do the pregame too 
by week 12 or 13, all right, we want you and Chuck to come in halftime too. So by the time we get to the playoffs and doing all these shows, but it was literally building as it went on. I mean, we, we had no idea how big this was going to be really until, you know, Miami and then the Super Bowl shuffle comes out. And then, of course, the rest is history. But really, for the first six, eight, ten weeks of that season, we still had no idea what we had on our hands. And it just kept, you know, growing and growing and taking on a life of its own. Not long after you um, left the Bears broadcast booth, which included a whole bunch of people from Hampton and Fensick and Thayer and Hart to, to Dick Butkus, you were working sidelines for Westwood One, which includes Super Bowls. And may I add, Hub has covered 44 of them. And eventually with yet another guest of this podcast, the enormously talented and popular Kevin Harlan. I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but that's a very special moment you watched firsthand with a front row seat on the field. It really was, Kevin. And what I wanted to add is Kurt was just talking about Breeze's passer rating. Drew Breeze and Ben Roethlisberger hold the NFL record. Passer ratings of 150 plus in a game with eight. Second are Peyton Manning and Kurt Warner. Wow, how about that? Nice uh, Kevin Harlan is is actually been my broadcast partner at Westwood the last uh, probably five, six years. But as far as Kevin's description of that particular streaker, I, I think it's one of the great calls in, in, in pro football history. And I wouldn't even dare to suggest I could ever match it. There have been so many rules changes in the NFL, some good, some not so good. So give me your appraisal of the good, the bad and the ugly. Well, I, I think instant replay is good if they could figure out how to use it right. Uh, well, that's a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick, I, I don't know why it's so hard to, to guess that Bill Belichick would have the best answer, but he's been saying it for years. Give the coaches the challenges. The coaching challenge thing is fine. It gives a, a, an element of, of, of strategy to the game, but let coaches challenge anything they want. And, and, and so any call that they think is wrong, let them challenge it. That way you have limited replay in the game. You can control how much it impacts the time of the game. You don't replay anything else except for what the coaches do challenge. You don't go back to all these other replays that we're seeing now. And I think that that would be good enough. Um, you know, beyond that, George, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you know the, the worst rules are these rules that have been put in place to protect the quarterback, mm -hmm. not because they shouldn't protect the quarterback, they should, but what it does is it puts other players at risk of injury, not going full speed, not knowing when to pull up. And it's created gray areas for officials that, that result in more mistakes rather than, than getting more things right. Now, let me tell you a story you don't know about me and Hub. We are both at Southern Illinois University. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, that living in the same complex, uh, complex called the Quads, but I meet you in someone else's apartment. And what I remember was this guy with a beard that would be enviable of any athlete today. I'm talking about some of the pitchers. I'm talking about the NHL players who have beards during the playoffs. You know, it was really impressive, Hub. I know you have a beard now, but back then, that was a good one. You know, I, I was uh, I, I was a bit of a, a hippie. I, I guess that <laughs> that sounds like my kids would say, "Oh, Dad, that's so queer." Um, but you know, that was the expression in those days, and um, uh, it was strange because I, I, I was a jock and and you know really into working out and everything. 
uh, but I did have hair down to uh, well, well below my shoulders and this big Santa Claus beard. And yeah, it, it was just, it, it was the style of the day. It was a way to uh, kind of express yourself. You know, through all of the work you do on football, you managed to do talk shows on WSCR, The Score. And I am wondering whether that's cathartic for you to talk about things other than football. As you guys know, if you've ever listened to me host before, my favorite thing about getting to do this is talking to you, taking your calls, seeing what questions we can answer, seeing what new ground we can break, seeing what information we can get. Give me a call at 312-644-6767. We're lining up calls right now. As a matter of fact, kept the first hour wide open for you guys as there's been a lot of news breaking out at Hallis Hall. We want to start to break it all down. The opportunity to to do shifts and, and host sports talk and get to talk about these other sports. Um, I do study baseball, not as much as football, but more than the average fan. Uh, and, and so um, I think that's why some of my, my, my Cubs and Sox shows tend to be better received than sometimes my football shows. Um, but it is, it is cathartic and, and it's fun. You have witnessed and reported on the Bears for a very long time. What is it about this franchise hub that is so alluring and yet so frustrating? The answer to both is really ownership and heritage and legacy. You know, I mean, uh, George Hallis is the, the father of professional football. And a hundred years later, his daughter... <laughs> still you know running the chicago bears i mean it's that's amazing isn't it if you think about it you know oh, sure um and 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 george hallis is is arguably the greatest innovator in, in the history of professional football i mean you, you know you're gonna make an argument for paul brown for bill walsh but you know you put them all in a group i mean lombardi you know may have been the greatest coach but not the innovator that these guys were in terms of things that they did uh that impact the game to this day and um uh you know, I, I think that the, the, the team will always command respect for that. They are, over the course of history, if not the most successful, one of the two most successful franchises in NFL history. The, the Packers have 13 titles. The Bears have nine. Uh, the, the Patriots are now, you know, the only one climbing on them. Uh, the Bears have the most players in the Hall of Fame. The Packers have the second most. So uh, if not necessarily recently, or even in the modern era, they, they are, you know, arguably the, the, the most successful franchise in the history of the game or, or certainly in the conversation. Um, and then you, 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 you flip it around and you look at the frustrations of the last, you know, three, four decades where they've had a couple nice runs, but, have, but since the eighties have you know, not been able to, to consistently go to playoffs three, four or five years in a row. What is it about this sport you love so much? Quite frankly, it's the contact. It's the physical nature of it. It's, it's the closest you come to, um, uh, you know, peaceful war, if you will, to, to, to ultimate victory, hopefully with no one suffering permanent damage. You know, but but, but it's, And unfortunately, many do. Uh, but they're willing to do that, to play the game because of their love of the game. But, but, it, but it, it's a physical confrontation. You know, it's funny, George. I, I, I grew up, you know, baseball was my first love. I was, I was a decent pitcher and I didn't start playing. My dad wouldn't let me play tackle football until I got into junior high school. Um, but, but the first day I put the pads on, I, I was a, I was a goofy kid. I, I got in my share of trouble. I, I was kind of a, a brawler, if you will. I was always getting in fights and ending up in the emergency room for stitches and whatever. And, you know, they put pads on me and they put me on a football field and said, all right, go kill that guy. 
And you know, I, I don't mean kill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I just looked at him. I, you mean I can I can hit him as hard as I want? They said that's the object of the game. <laughs> and, and so it was an instant love affair. I end all of these interviews with this final question, though I believe we've pretty much addressed it at the beginning. If not for football and journalism, what would you have been? I've always been fascinated by politics and, and, and government, and I had a minor in political science, and, and I had taken my LSATs, and, and I was thinking about being a lawyer, um, and, and that might have happened, um, although almost certainly not with my dad passing as, as young as he did. So I'm guessing that I would have ended up, you know, running a zoo somewhere. I don't know. Certainly, you know, I mean, at the time I, I was moving towards working with animals. I, I did actually uh, end up with a, um, a double major, as I said, in phys ed and English. And, and I was doing student teaching um, and had gotten a coaching certificate. So I might have ended up a teacher and a coach. Uh, but I'm guessing I would have ended up working with animals somewhere. Well, let's put it this way, Hub. The media is a zoo, so you're already working in this industry. Thank you very much, Hub Arkish, for telling me a story I don't know. My thanks to WSCR The Score in Chicago and Westwood One Sports for those wonderful highlights. And as always, a big thanks to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his fine mixing and editing, and Nick Tochi for our great graphics. And to our generous sponsors, Saranal Law Group, top-notch pros who will save you money on your real estate taxes, Dynamic Manufacturing, Honor the Legacy, Pioneer the Future, and the Vienna Beef Company, home of the iconic Chicago hot dog since 1893. By BetUS, a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, and the Polina Market, top purveyors of the finest meats and much more. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.